0: see you here this morning. Thank you for coming and being part of our service. And uh, again, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving and a good time uh, with some family and some friends. Uh, We got to go over to South Carolina for a few days. And uh, like I always say, it's good to be home. Some of y'all got that. Okay, yeah. It's good to be home, good to be back and uh, enjoy it. And uh, still getting used to some of the ways Thanksgiving gets done in different places. Uh, some of you probably had a normal, traditional Thanksgiving dinner, and we had most of a normal, traditional Thanksgiving dinner, and, uh, but uh, my, my in-laws, I love them. They, uh, they, they do a lot of great stuff, a lot of great cooking, great things, and um, I actually did get to eat some more stovetop this year uh, for dressing, and I was glad for it, and you're thankful. And you want God to say, hey, you really thankful? You, you ask God to bless the stovetop when you used to homemade dress- How many of you do what I mean when I say dressing? Y'all call it stuffing or dressing? dressing. Thank you very much. Because stuffing makes me think something bad. Okay? All right. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> but, but got to eat some of that last night. And uh, just thanking the Lord for that. And for good homemade stuffing. Praise the Lord. It's good stuff. And uh, my mother-in-law, I love her. She always does this for me. I'm the only one that eats uh, homemade stuffing. I'm the only one that eats deviled eggs. I'm the only one that eats uh, uh, cranberry sauce. When I say cranberry sauce, I'm talking about the congealed out of the can. It drops out. You see the range. You can even look close to see the stamp number on top of it. You get to do that. I'm like, glory to God. Thank you for that happens. And it's funny because I don't know if you ever try to eat a whole can of cranberry sauce. You cannot pucker very well or lick your lips very well after a whole can. But you know, Whatever you do, do it with all your might, so you've got to do what's right there. But we had a good time. My, my wife and Chloe, my youngest, are, are still away. They, uh, my mother-in-law is doing a trip for uh, them just to be a blessing to them, and they're excited to get to go on a trip and i'm excited that i got all the other three children uh dressed fed and here today safely now it does help that they're all self-sufficient but still i got them here today uh with that you're like well they got to be fed no they can do it on their own i got them so you eat or you don't eat it's up to you uh but anyhow we we got them all here today and i'm thankful for it and i'm glad for you to be here today and uh, we come the day after thanksgiving and we're getting close to uh uh time to if you haven't already decorated, you probably have, and, and for Christmas, getting that Christmas uh, spirit and, and everything, and uh, hope that you have a good holiday uh, season, a good Christmas time. And by the way, just don't I like to say Merry Christmas to people? That's just kind of the way I am, because there is no Christmas without Christ, and so I thank the Lord for that. And this morning, if you would, let's take our Bibles and turn in the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would. 1 Peter chapter number five is where we'll be at. If you need a Bible, there's probably a black cover Bible close to you. If you need that black cover Bible, we will be on page 897, if that helps you there. And speaking of Christmas, uh, we do have these particular um, outreach cards that we have in the back on the lobby. It's just a simple card that says, Merry Christmas... And it gives a little bit of information about our church, but it also has uh, on the back the plan of salvation. These are wonderful things you can take and just give to people to say, Hey, Merry Christmas, want to give it to you, and uh, you want to invite them to church. But even if they never come to church, if you give this to somebody, they have on the back of it how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you, it's more important for them to have a relationship with Christ than it is for them ever to go to church, because it's more important to know the Lord as your Savior. But there's plenty of these back here if you'd like to have those. And then I know many of you are going to struggle like me saying 2019, but we got a bunch of these calendars if you'd like to take one for you and your family to have as just a gift from the church to start planning things there. But this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter number 5, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses, so, so follow along with me. But in 1 Peter chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 1, this is Peter speaking to some believers. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1, the elders... Which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage and being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Verse 5. Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren there in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after they have suffered for a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray as we look at your word today that you might add your blessing, Lord, to the reading and teaching of your word. Lord, I pray it often, but Lord, I greatly mean it. Lord, take me as your vessel, Lord, but cleanse me. Cleanse me of myself. Cleanse me of my sin. Cleanse me of my own desires, or things I might want to say. And Lord, instead, fill me with that perfect, precious Holy Spirit that I might say what you have for me to say. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here today. Lord, what an encouragement it is to come into this room and see other people that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and are hungry for you and hungry for your word. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody in our midst today that does not know you as their Savior, they might have a religion, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. May today be the day they trust you as their Savior and not just their religion. Lord, I pray for those working with the children this morning. You would give them wisdom, Lord. Give them uh, grace as, as they minister those children. And, Lord, just as we ask for your blessing on us in this room, Lord, I ask for you to speak to the hearts of those children. Lord, it would be just as wonderful to hear about a child today accepting Christ. It would be just as wonderful to hear about a child today that, grow, that draws closer to you. Work in their lives, I pray. And, Lord, as we look at this passage for the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would open our blind eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you so much for Jesus whose name we pray amen when you come to this particular book first peter uh peter is one of the 12 disciples as you know and in fact not just one of the 12 disciples he's one of the inner circle one of the inner three there's peter and then the sons of zebedee james and john peter as we like to talk about is the one that's gun ho peter's one of those guys that whatever he does he's going to go 100 miles an hour if it's 100 miles an hour in the right way great if it's 100 miles on the wrong way he's going to do it full bore whatever he does But when Peter writes the book of 1 Peter here, Peter's not a young man. He's not one of these guys that it was the time when he walked with Christ with this energy and this zeal as he once had and that physical strength. But now he's getting close to the end of his life. It's not recorded necessarily in scripture, but all points talk about it, as he mentions in John chapter 21, that Peter actually pretty soon after he writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he'll actually be crucified for his faith. And in fact, going to the cross to be crucified, Peter actually says, I'm not worthy to be, as historians say, to be crucified the same way Christ is. And he actually asked to be crucified upside down. So he would not, he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. Can't imagine that. And as Peter's writing this book, he's writing to, as it says in chapter 1, verse number 1, to the believers or those that are scattered abroad. Because there are people that come to faith in Christ that because of persecution and because of suffering could not stay there in Jerusalem. And so they scatter. And that's actually how God uses to spread the gospel throughout all the world. Because if you notice, we talked about a few weeks ago, there were 3,000 people got saved at one particular time. And I just thought, man, what an awesome thing that would be to see 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. But let me tell you, it's still an awesome thing when one person, whether it's a boy, whether it's a girl, whether it's a man it's a woman of any age, comes to faith in Christ. And as you see, as they come to faith in Christ, they all stay, and they wouldn't scatter. They wouldn't do as Jesus commanded, go ye into all the world. They kept wanting to stay, which, by the way, is the purpose of the church. is not to build a kingdom, but to advance the kingdom of God and to go out and let people know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we see, as he talks about here in 1 Peter, where he's talking to a people that are not just scattered, but they're suffering. They're suffering for their stand for Christ. By the way, if you stand for the Lord, you're going to probably suffer. There's probably going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that don't understand what you do. If you're like uh, me, you came out of the holiday season, you came out of Thanksgiving, you sat at a table with family, and I'm going to guess if you're like me, there's family, especially extended family, that doesn't understand why you pray, that doesn't understand why you go to church, that don't understand why you're faithful and trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. Not that you're perfect, because there ain't a single one of us that are, as long as you're breathing in and out. But they don't understand why you do what you do. is this thing called the Christian life. And they're not going to like it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But as you come to this particular chapter, he's closing the first letter. Peter actually addresses two challenges that God gives. He gives a challenge to the elders or to the pastors, to the leaders of the church. But he also gives a challenge to the people of the church. By the way, can I tell you, just as a reminder, that the church is not this building. You're not sitting in the church. We call this as a place of church. But can I tell you what the church is biblically is the uh, saved people that are children of God. We are the church. If you're here today, you're part of the church. If there's people meeting down the road down here, whatever church it is, if they're saved, they're part of the church. It's part of the body of Christ. The church is not these green walls. The church, this is a place we meet geographically, but the church is us as body of believers. When you leave here, the church leaves here as well. And he gives a distinct challenge here to not just the pastors, but also gives a challenge to people of the church as well. And he's telling them and trying to encourage them because they are saved, hey, let's glorify God in the time that you have, in the way that you live your life. Let's glorify it. By the way, In case you've probably heard this before from me, but in case you haven't, you ever sometimes wonder, what is the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of us meeting Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? What's the purpose of the programs that we have? What is the purpose of uh, praise and pie that we do before Thanksgiving? What's the purpose of all these different things, the choir and everything that we do, the singing, the preaching, what is the purpose of it? Can I tell you what the purpose of Emmanuel Baptist Church needs to be? and is, and should continue to be, is simply this, glorify God. Everything we do, glorify God. If there's one thing that we do here that does not glorify God, it's for naught. It's for nothing, it's in vain, and it will accomplish nothing. You say, well, how do you do that? We've kind of mottoed three things as far as how do we glorify God here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Well, one, we evangelize the lost. It'd be a sad thing to meet together on Sundays, to meet together on any other appointed time we have, but to never leave these doors and tell people that are lost and dying on their way to hell, just as we were at one time, And not tell them who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I've heard people say, Brother Phil, I don't know all the verses. I don't know the Romans road. I don't know this backwards and front. But you do know what Jesus did in your life. You do know what he saved you from. You do know what he's done in your life being your Lord and Savior. And all you've got to do is share your story because your story is his story. Because of what he's done. So we evangelize the lost. The second part of how we do that, our second purpose here, is to baptize believers. And that's not just a physical baptism, even though I believe to be a true, obedient follower of Christ. We've got to do one of the things he commands us to do is to follow him in believer's baptism. Now, in that, you say, well, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? No, because in the same book of 1 Peter, if you read uh, chapter 3, verse number 21, Peter talks about that baptism is not to cleanse the filth of the flesh of the skin, or of the sin, excuse me, but it's actually to give us a right conscience with God, to be that we're right with God and we want to go forward in our life with God. Baptism is not salvation. It's showing that salvation has already happened. It's showing that. And by the way, aren't you thankful for the last few weeks we've had the opportunity to baptize people? And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing for someone to trust Christ as their Savior and them to get in that pool up there that's nothing special anymore than the tub in your house but to publicly say and demonstrate, I want to follow the Lord in my life. And that's what the desire is to do. But it's not just physical baptism. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning of the idea of discipling people. It'd be one thing to tell people how to come to faith in Christ, but then you know what you've got to do after you're saved? You've got to learn how to grow. You've got to learn how to grow. It'd be something for a child to be born, but for parents never to teach them how to eat, for parents to never to teach them how to walk, for parents teach them how to talk. You say, well, Brother Phil, I really wish I didn't teach my kids how to talk. And I understand that. But you know what you do as a parent? You start helping that child grow. And I tell you, I don't want to be guilty of telling people how to go to heaven, but not how to live in the light that they're going there to live in the way that, hey, how is a Christian supposed to live? That's what we call discipleship. I really believe this, and this is a struggle. I really believe a lot of churches fall these one of two categories. Either they're very evangelistic but not very good at discipling, or they're so good at discipling they make lost people feel good about being lost. But the goal is not just to feel good about being lost. It's to see people come to faith in Christ, but it's also to see people grow in Christ because if you and I both know, if you're saved, you still got pressure you still got problems. Hey, he's writing to a people that are scattered. He's writing to a people that are suffering. So we got to know how, what, how can we get through this life. I do love how David says he encouraged himself in the Lord, but it is nice when you don't have to do it all by yourself. It's nice to come to a place where there's other believers that will help you and encourage you and pray for you. But the third part of the, our purpose here at Emmanuel is this, is to mobilize disciples. And I kind of hinted to that already. It's time to get saved. It's time to grow as a believer. And then it's time to go outside the walls and the doors of this church and reproduce ourselves. Think about this. Think about everything that got dumped into the disciples. How much Christ poured his life into those 12 men. Think how much he poured his life into them. And just imagine Jesus ascends back up to heaven. And they're like, well, that's really good. Let's go home. Hey, the 12 of us will get together. Excuse me, 11 of us, Judas. And then they added Matthias, the 12th one. Hey, the 12 of us just meet at Peter's house every week and we'll just have church. That would probably have been a great thing, right? But no, Jesus said, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I want you to keep growing, but I want you to take what's been given to you and share it. We're here today because the 12 disciples didn't keep their faith to themselves. We're here because they scattered. We're here today because they went out and they mobilized what we call the local church in that. And I tell you, I'm glad to be part of the local church here. I'm glad to be part of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I've been here For five and a half years as pastor, I've been here for six and a half years as as far as being here. And I hope and pray to the Lord. Someone asked me at Thanksgiving, how much longer do you think you'll be at Emmanuel? I said, I guess until God calls me home. Whether it's the upper taker or undertaker, I plan on being here. But I'm going to give you something today just for a moment. And this is probably not necessarily for you. But a lot of people will do 1 Peter chapter 5 and they'll never preach the first four verses. You know why? You got to preach to the preacher. So just for a moment, allow me to preach to myself. If you don't mind. You say, oh man, I've been waiting for this for five and a half years. How about time? All right. But he gives a challenge here, not just to the people of God, as we as preachers like to jump into around verse number six. He said, I got something for you too that are elders. So you that are the leadership, you that call yourselves the under shepherd, if you would. And I want us to see something here in verse number one. He says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. All right, you ready to see the responsibility that a pastor is supposed to have? Feed the flock of God. It didn't say visit every Saturday. It didn't say develop programs. It didn't say have all kinds of wonderful activities. Those are great, right? But he's saying if you don't do this first thing right here, you miss the whole boat. And can I tell you for a moment, my responsibility, and I'm telling you this and not saying I'm doing it. I pray with God's help that I am. My responsibility is to feed. But can I tell you something? I can't feed until I dive in and feed myself first. I want you to know by God's help and God's grace, every time I bring a message here, regardless of the day, regardless of the service, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival, whatever it may be, can I tell you something? If I don't pull myself up to this table first and eat it first, I can't give it. And that is my responsibility to feed the flock of God, to feed. And can I tell you something? In my life, I love it that God's called me to preach. You say, Brother Phil, how is it that you know God called you to preach? I don't really know other than he put it in my heart. It says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire a good thing. God put in my heart the desire, you know what, to take his word, read his word, study his word, and to preach his word. And you know, in that, the idea is this, in that God wants me to have my nose in this book, and he wants my knees on the floor, and he wants me to beg him to work in my life and the life of everyone else. And I can't do this right here if I don't take what God has for me first. And we probably all had the opportunity to be in a service or be in a church where all it was is someone trying to tell you how to live without ever eating the food themselves. And I have a very, very big responsibility. You say, Brother Phil, why are you talking to us today? We ain't the preacher. Because I want you to know how to pray for me. And I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Because this is what God's called me to do. I love visiting. I love all the activities. I love soccer. I love everything that we do around here but if I get this stuff going and I don't do this right here, I don't feed, then I'm being disobedient. and Disobedience is sin. And can I tell you, I don't take this challenge lightly. Because I can tell you this morning, I'm not up here trying to fulfill some hobby. Because whether you believe it or not, I am not the most outgoing person. I was very shy in high school. I know you're like, ain't no way. I was shy in high school. I didn't like to talk to anybody girl talked to me, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I just kind of, I just did the little grunting kind of stuff like that, okay? I was very shy, I was very laid back, and, and it's amazing, God can do the impossible, you know, in your life, and your abilities, and in, in your limitations. I'm not here to fulfill a hobby, but I'm telling you, what God's called me to do, I'm here to fulfill that purpose where God has brought me, and to be in this place, but I have to understand, God's given me some specific instructions. Can I tell you this morning, The reason I want you to pray for me and the reason I want to pray for you is because God's commanded me this morning to feed you spiritually. and I don't take that lightly. I don't take it lightly. Now, it's not the only point, but it's the main point. Because I need to understand something. Peter's saying, hey, you pastors, you leaders, you need to feed the flock of God because you know what? I have to realize this. If you live in this world and you're here today, you probably came hungry. You know why? Because what you had to endure and what you face out there, it doesn't feed you. You know, I think sometimes, and just throwing it out there, it's not true. It's not true in every situation, I understand. But there's probably a chance those that could be here that aren't here, why are they not here if they could be here? Because they ain't hungry. They ain't hungry. And you know, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, he starts in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, What he says, Blessed are they which do hunger. And thirst after righteousness. He says what? the end of that verse. For they shall be filled. Can I tell you today, regardless of how eloquent this message may or may not be, can I tell you someday, if you hunger, you're here today, and you're thirsting after righteousness for God to speak to you, it might just be a nugget, and it might be a whole pan of that homemade dressing. I don't know what it may be for you, but he says you will be filled if you come hungering and thirsting for God. You say, Brother Phil, I come to church, and I leave empty gotta smile at you and say maybe you didn't come hungry why are you here today you're here today because you want something you want some meat you want the meat of the word you don't just want the milk of the word the milk is good but sometimes it's good to get the meat it's good to get the good stuff you know at thanksgiving i didn't sit there and drink water and them slap applesauce on the table and say there you go go at it and i said where's the turkey at Where is the ham at? Where's the meat? Where's the potatoes? I want the good stuff. But can I tell you, a lot of times in our life, spiritually, we want to live off applesauce when God says, I got meat. We don't want the meat. We don't want to be hungry. We just want enough to satisfy our appetite to go out and do what we've been doing. And I understand today, you're not here today because you're looking for me to give you a message that I downloaded off the Internet. You're not looking here today for me to give you a message that will just make you feel good. I know you're not here today because you want to hear about politics. Thank you, God. You don't want to hear about that. But you're looking at me because you're expecting me to give you something fresh. You're expecting me to do what Peter's telling the pastors and the leaders, the elders to do. Feed the flock of God. And I want you to understand something this morning. I'm taking time on this because I'm not saying it in a bragging way. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't take it that way. But I'm publicly putting myself out for accountability is what I'm doing. my job is to feed. My job is to feed the flock of God, and my job is to do that. And I have to understand something. I better have something for you to eat. That's my responsibility. Look what it goes on to say in verse number 2. It says, which which is among you, feed the flock of God, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He's taking the oversight, not by constraint. He means this. He's telling these guys here, give them the truth, but don't beat them upside the head with it. The Bible does say, speak the truth. And I know some people say, well, bless the Lord, you ought to get up there and just let them have it. Yeah, you ought to let them have it, but Jesus spoke in love. He spoke truth, but he spoke in love. By the way, the only people that Jesus spoke harshly to were the Pharisees, by the way, just throwing that out there. That's the only ones he spoke harshly to because they knew better and they didn't do better. They knew what was right, but they didn't do what's right. But can I help you understand? And for me to understand is that I'm not supposed to do it by beat you overhead about it. I'm not supposed to guilt you into being at church. I'm not going to try to guilt you into reading your Bible and guilt you into praying and guilt you into being a Christian, the the Christian that God's called you to be. That's not how I'm supposed to do it. By the way, the word can speak for itself without me having to do that. It also says in the verse, but willingly, that means this, doing it God's way, not mine. And let me just say every now and then. There are certain ways I would really like to preach. There are certain ways I would really like to do things. And God said, you're going to do it my way or your way? I find out quickly his way is a lot better than my way. He blesses. And you say in your life, say, Phil, I don't have to be preaching. I tell you, in my life, there's a lot of ways I want to handle a situation, but doing it his way, but doing it willingly. But also goes on to say, not for filthy lucre. It means that a, that a, that a preacher should not be money-hungry shouldn't be chasing money shouldn't be chasing money by the way preacher shouldn't be chasing anything else either by the way just on a side note but he's saying don't be money hungry don't be doing it for money and he says doing it of a ready mind that means having a mind of Christ that means in the way that you look at things and think about things and pray in things many of the people that make decisions around here they, they know this when they come to me a lot of times they say brother Phil what do you think about this let's do this and a lot of times I say well let me pray about it you know why because if I don't pray about it I'm going to do what probably I think. But if I stop and say, hey, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to say, God, what do you want in this? I know that drives some people crazy, and it drives some of y'all crazy. I understand that. But I tell you this, I whether wait, be patient, and wait on the Lord to make a decision instantly and make the wrong decision. To be still and know that I am God. To be still and understand what he says. To really understand and know God's will for what God wants in that. And can I tell you, and I mean this, and I had it in, in this week even That whenever I'm trying to feed the flock of God and doing what God's called me to do this morning, can I tell you that when I get in this book and I read it and I'm praying and God gives me something, can I just share my heart with you for a moment? When God gives me something and I jot it down and it gets in my mind and heart, I'm thinking I can't wait to get to 384 Gordon Highway, Millersville, Georgia, because I want to share with God's people what God's given me, what God's trying to tell me. Because I want to have the heart that says, God, I don't want you just to speak to me, but may you speak through me. May you give them what it is. And I know many a times I'll, I'll get up and I'll preach and i think to myself, I got this thing. I want to communicate. I want to tell them. And I feel like I just, Charlie Brown teacher, won't, 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 won, won. You know, they'll just feel that way sometimes. You ever feel that way? You got something in your heart, but you can't get it out? Try every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. <laughs> okay, feel that way, all right? And when I think about it, and I think about this, I think, God's given me a very big responsibility. And there's a challenge there, but can I tell you this morning what I want to look at? There's a challenge to the elders. a challenge to the pastors of the church. It's pretty big. And I want you to know I don't take it lightly. But he gives a challenge here to the people of the church. And it's a challenge today that I have to adhere to myself. I get both, by the way. You may get one, but I get both. They're The challenges that I've got to live to, the things that I have to do. And if you look in verse number 8, probably a verse that we know very well, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The word sober there means to sober-minded, it means to be seriously minded. It also says to be vigilant, that means to be determined, that means to be committed to it. And what, Peter is telling here, He said, I want you to understand something as pastors and leaders, there's something you need to give to those people of God, and there's something that the people of God, he wants them to understand, as we're going to look at the next several verses this morning, is this, he said, it's time to be serious about this thing we call the Christian life. And I want you to know, from my own heart and soul, I feel this way, but I tell you, it's burdened me more in the last six months, and I think it's burdened me a long time, is that there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that don't take this thing of Christianity serious. We take a lot of other things serious. We take our job serious. We take our family serious. We take a ball game serious. But do we take this right here serious? Do we take this thing serious? And Peter's at the end of his life And he's looking to these believers that are suffering, that are scattered. Just like some of you today, you feel like you're scattered. You feel like you're lost. You feel like not lost in your spiritually, but you feel like you have no direction in your life. And you feel like you're suffering and things are not going the way you want it to have and go in your life. And he gives them a challenge and instruction here. He said, hey, be serious about this thing you call the Christian life. Don't let it be just another Christmas. Don't let it be just another New Year's revolution if you get to 2019, if the Lord allows it. But to take what the time you have, Peter says, be serious about it. Be serious about it. And he says some things here for I believe that will be helpful to us in the understanding what it means about what we need to be serious about the Christian life. You have an insert there. You see the things here that we're going to look at today. But why should I? You're here today. You say, Phil, I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. Why in the world should I take this whole thing called the Christian life serious? People around me don't seem to take it serious. People maybe in my family or people in my church or people on my job that claim to be a Christian. Why should I take my Christianity serious? Glad you asked. Got a couple points, okay? Number one, why should we take it serious? Number one, because God wants you to be clothed in humility. God wants you to be clothed in humility. Verse number five says this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. You know what God is saying here, and you know what Peter's telling uh, the church here? He's telling them this. He's telling them, God desires you, even though you're suffering, even though you feel bewildered in your life. He's telling you, you cannot be a proper Christian with pride in your life. I kind of warned the Sunday school class. One of our points today was talking about pride and humility. And I said, hey, you're going to hear a little bit more of that again because we're in James chapter number 4 uh, this morning in Sunday school. But uh, he's talking about here. Peter's saying, he's warning you that you cannot take the Christian life serious and be full of yourself. You can't live this life for yourself. You have to be clothed. You have to be wrapped in humility. And he's talking about it here. And I don't know if you notice, a lot of us like to, when we get older, we like to begin at verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit to the elder. Respect your elders. I'm finding out something. I'm starting to become an elder, these kids. You know, start thinking that stuff. And we like to stop there, but you know what? That's not where the verse stops. It doesn't just say, hey, younger, submit to the elder. It goes on to say this. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. If there's somebody I will not be willing to serve, if there's somebody I will not be willing to yield my desires for the good of them spiritually, can I tell you something? I'm full of pride. I'm not humble. I don't have the, the mind of Christ. I don't have the... He talks about here being clothed in, in humility. But I need us to understand something. As we looked at this morning in Sunday school, you have a choice. You can be prideful or you can be humble. And you need to understand something. In that verse, if you read it carefully, if you're humble, what do you receive? Grace. If you're prideful, what do you receive? God's resistance. A lot of us just focus on the grace. I take God's grace or leave it. No, no, no. It doesn't say you can take God's grace or leave it. It says you can be humble and receive the grace or you can be prideful and you are actually going to get the resistance of God. Which doesn't just mean God repels you. That means God goes on the offensive against you. not know about you, but it's a humbling thought to think about God going on the offensive against me. Well, I'm a child of God. Well, I don't always live like it. Well, I'm a child of God. I don't mean I always talk like it. I don't mean I always act like it. And you know what? In my life growing up, I had parents that loved me enough to correct me and discipline me. And you know what? They resisted the things that I was doing and the things that I would say and the mentality and thoughts that I had. They were resisting that because you know why? It wasn't what was pleasing, it wasn't what was becoming of the family. And he's saying here, you need to be clothed in humility. You need to take this Christian life serious because if you're full of self, You ain't never going to please him. Not only are you never going to please him, you're going to be against him. Think about it this morning. You're here this morning, and you either have humility in your life or pride in your life, which means this. Either God is for you, and God is giving grace to you, or you're actually on the other side of that, and God is resisting you in the way you act, live, and talk. Now, where are you at today? I tell you, that's a thought by itself that why we ought to be sober, be vigilant, which means we ought to be serious, be determined in the way that we live our lives. You say, Brother Phil, you want to give some examples? No, because it hit too close to home. But being clothed in humility. And it says this. Look on in verse number 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, when you have a humility, you know what it says here? He, or God, will lift you up. Brother Phil, I don't know why God's not lifting me up. Brother Phil, I just don't understand. I mean, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to talk the right way, trying to be nice, trying to give the poor, trying to do all these things. And I don't understand why God's not lifting me up. Maybe it's because you're looking for other people to do it. Maybe it's because you're doing the right thing, but you ain't wanting the praise and the lifting of the Father. You want the praise and the lifting of the fellow man. You want other people to brag on you. You ever seen a little kid do something? And they do something good? Well, they did. Turn around and find mom and daddy. See what I did? See what I did? Look at me. And we understand that we also grow up. Some of us never grow up from that. Look what I did. I went to church today. Look what I did. I I brought my Bible today. Look what I did. I I, I gave a card out to somebody today. Hey, look what I did. I brought these 14 people to church today, Brother Phil. Aren't you glad? I am very glad you brought those 14 people to church. May your tribe increase. Okay? I'm fine with that. But when you do that, look at me. Look at me. Guess what? God says, I'm not going to bless it. Enjoy your blessing. Because it's it. If I get up here today and my sole purpose is to go stand at that door in the back and my joy and my happiness is based on, hey, that was really good today. Hey, it really blessed me today. Hey, that was a convicting today. Hey, that was really encouraging. If that is my point, I'm wanting you to do what God says. I'll do it if you just let me. If you just be humble. If you just have that humility. I have in my Bible beside verse number 6 talking about humility. Humility is preparation for service, and service is the test of humility. And if you understand trying to live a humble life, you know that's true. You've got to be humble to to serve other people. And serving other people will show pretty quick just how humble you really are. And I know I talk about it a lot, but I can't get over that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. I can't get over it. I can't get over that Jesus washed Judah's feet. And when he got through washing their feet, you know what Jesus didn't say? Now y'all wash mine. He didn't say that. Because we have that mentality. I'll wash your feet. Now we ain't going to actually wash feet. okay? Some of y'all are panicking a little bit right now. okay? Some of you ladies slipping the shoes back on. okay? We're not, we're not talking about that. okay? But I'm talking about serving people like Christ served them. Some of us don't mind serving other people if we know they're going to serve us back. That's not humility. That's saying, you lift me up. And I'd rather God lift me up. I'd rather rather give God the praise and let God do it. So maybe you're looking for the wrong grace and humility somewhere. All right, number one, we saw that God wants you to be clothed in humility. Number two, God wants to have your cares. Why should I be serious about this thing called the Christian life? Number two, because God wants to have your cares. I love this verse. Casting all your care upon him he careth for you that's a great verse when you're suffering when you're depressed when you're discouraged when you're frustrated because of the circumstance and the people in your life can I tell you something to take heart in he says cast it to me give it to me why because I care for you he said by the way did you notice something in this passage it doesn't say God take it away he commands me to cast it you still got your care today no understand why God doesn't take my cares away I understand why God doesn't take the word care of that man's anxiety. He says, why don't God take my anxiety away? Why don't he take it away? Because you ain't gave it to him. You ain't talked to him about it. He says cast it. Remember who, remember who Peter is, right? He's a fisherman. He's a seasoned fisherman. He knew what it was like to take the net and to cast it in there. Peter knew something that a lot of us struggle with spiritually. He knew the net wasn't going to jump out of the boat on its own and go in the water. It was a choice. It was a choice to take the net and cast it out there. Not knowing what's going to happen. And you have a choice this morning. You can stay with your life full of anxiety and depression and all these things that are going on in your life. You can have a life full of care and be saying, God, take it away. And God says, give it to me. Cast it to thrust or throw violently with no desire for it to come back. But if you're like me, I come to a church service or I read my Bible and God brings something to my mind and heart and I get on my knees and say, God, I, I just need you to help in this situation, help in my work, help in my marriage, help in my family, help in my, my discouragement, help me in my sin that I keep giving myself to, to only get up and say, man, load that care back up and walk back out the door. You ain't casting it, you're just showing it to him. By the way, there's a difference between confession and repentance. Confessing is acknowledging. Repentance is to turn and change direction. And in our lives, we bring our backpack of doubt to God, and we just, oh, God, this is what's going on. And then we say amen, and we sing the last time, we walk out the door, and we pack it all back up, and we load it back up, and we walk back out the door. We ain't casting. And by the way, to understand this verse correctly, this wasn't a suggestion. It's a command. This is hard, okay? This is hard for me to understand this, and to, actually, it's not hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to live. That means when I don't give God all my cares, I'm disobeying God. Well, Phil, you don't understand. I mean, my life—I'm just telling you right now—I'm—I'm I'm always going to worry. I'm going to worry about this. I'm going to worry about that. No, you don't. No, you ain't. You ain't got to live that life. That's why Philippians chapter 4 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, Be careful, be anxious for nothing. You don't have to live life with anxiety. You choose to live life with cares and anxiety. But you're looking at somebody that fails in this matter. You're looking at somebody that's disobedient in this matter. See, when we think this, it's my care, it's not a big deal. When God says, No, no, it's my command, you ain't fulfilling it. There's a difference there. That's understanding what God's word says. And I tell you, when I looked at this passage, I was sitting there thinking about it, thinking it's really nice to know God's there. I can just say, God, here you go. No, God's saying, I'm here. Give it to me. Not real long ago, one of my kids got, well, actually, I guess it was last year for Christmas. My kids got something. And it was one of those things that you could tell was not working correctly. It was like a remote control car or something. And they were trying to get it to work and trying to do everything. And you can see them trying to do everything. I'm sitting there watching going, yep, yep, right there, yep. And they're sitting there, and they're just frustrated, and just uh, just, uh, and just threw it down. Got frustrated with it. A little piece broke off. I'm like, yep, you just messed it up. Okay. And the whole time, I'm like, give it to me. Like, give it to me. Can I tell you, that child went through frustration and actually made a bigger mess out of what they had and caused more problems and more heartache by not just trying and saying, here, here daddy, you take it. You're giving yourself more heartache and suffering than you need because you're not looking and saying, Here, Father, here, God, here's my marital problem. God, here's my addiction in my life. God, here's my situation with my kids. God, here's my situation on my job. Instead, we keep taking it and we just, all we're getting is what? Frustrated and brokenhearted when God says, Cast it. Cast it where you're not even going to look back. And I love Scripture. I love every word of Scripture. And I love the verse that says, Casting, love the next word, all. you saying, Phil, surely there's some little things in life that I can deal with, right? I mean, there's little things. I don't need to bother God. With. Be careful. If you're like me, the little things become big. And little things have a way of multiplying themselves. The next thing you know, I'm drowning in it. And God's like, if you just give it to me. If you just cast it to me. And Peter says, I know you're suffering. You say, Brother Phil, I I don't understand what to do. I, I'm, I'm going through all this. And why should I do it? Because I love the end of the verse. Why should I give God everything? Why should I give it? Because he cares for us. Aren't you here today? And you, know, aren't you glad that God cares about you personally? Let me ask you a question. I may need to stop here for a second. Do you know God cares about you personally? You may be here saying, well, I'm going to give it. He don't care about me. He cares about grandma. He cares about my spouse. He cares about my kids. But I don't, my life right now, I don't feel like God cares about me at all. Well, God ain't the one telling you that. Who do you think the liar and author of confusion is? It ain't God. We're about to read about him in verse number eight. He's telling you he don't care. You work it out. He don't care. You figure it out. He don't care. Why don't you go talk to this person over here? They'll, they'll probably get frustrated with you. By the way, doesn't misery love company? We will not get on that point today. But anyhow, we'll go back over here. Some of y'all like, I know where you're going. All right. We'll pray about that. But God's telling you, I can handle that burden. Can I tell you this morning, as a believer, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Savior, he said, I can handle that burden. I can handle that sorrow. I can handle that problem. I can handle that confusion. And I can handle that frustration. But I'm not going to take it from you. You've got to give it to me. you got to give it to me. It means you've got to let go and let God. you got to let go and you've got to let God do it. So not only do we see number one, we've got to be clothed in the middle. Number two, we look at here as far as we've got to, God wants to have your cares. But number three... Something we see here is that we need to understand something, that we have a determined foe. Why should I be serious about this thing called the Christian life? Because we have a determined foe. And can I stop here for a second and say this? If you ever get to where you live, verse 7, which, by the way, wouldn't you like me, kind of would love to be able to say I do, verse 7, I live a carefree life. I would love that, right? By the way, a carefree life doesn't mean you're without problems. It just means you know the God of the problems and the God of the storm, and he'll take care of it. But what Peter's stopping to say here, there's a reason verse 7 comes and verse 8 comes. Because Peter's saying, when you become carefree, don't become careless. Now, there's a lot of Christians today that have got to verse 7, but they live careless lives. And he's warning them, hey, you can be carefree, but don't be careless because of what's going to happen. In verse number 8, you have a determined foe, because look what it says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Can I tell you something this morning? And and I know people like, well, you talk about the devil. I just think of a guy with a pitchfork and horns and all that. That's just make-believe. Can I tell you that's what he wants you to think? He also says he can present himself as an angel of light. That's the confusion part. Can I tell you something? As sure as I'm standing here today, there is a devil. There's a hell. And the devil's going to do everything he can to confuse you, to make you suffer, to make you question God in your life, to make you give up spiritually to make you live a careless life a not victorious not a joyful life we have a determined foe i can't tell you a little something about the devil that i I see in this verse i see his character look what it says he said because your adversary you know what that means it's personal it's personal personal means peter's telling him he's not just against the church he says he's against you. Can I tell you something today? Satan wants my family. Satan wants my marriage. He wants my kids. He wants, he wants my ministry. He wants my health. He wants everything he can in my life. Why? Because John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to do those things in your life. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill the joy you have in your life. And he wants to destroy your testimony before other people. That's what he wants to do. He wants to do those things. And I can't live a careless life. I have to live a serious, a sober-minded life. I have to live a diligent life, a persistent life. You know why? Because he's not the adversary of only Emmanuel Baptist Church. He is the adversary of Phil Rogers. He's the adversary, and you plug your name in right there. He is your enemy. Whether or not you admit it or not, he's your enemy. He's your enemy. It's personal. He's against you. You've named the name of Christ, so now you're his enemy. You're on the other side. Now, by the way, aren't you thankful? I am on the other side of Satan. And because of that, I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. I am going re- to go to heaven. I am going to have the victory, and Satan's going to get what he deserves. I ain't going to have to endure it. But as long as I'm breathing in and out, i got a personal adversary. I have. I see his character. It says that your adversary, the devil, the word devil there means a passionate accuser. He said because of this. He says, be sober, be vigilant in your mind. Why? Because you have a passionate accuser. That's why you can't live any way you want as a believer. Some people say, well, I can just get saved and I got all this freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. You can't live any way you want because you got somebody out there against you. You got somebody out there trying to draw you away from Christ. He's against your testimony. He's against all these things in your life. I see Satan's character, but also Satan, I see a comparison. If you see it, it says, for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Don't miss that word as there. As is a comparison or a simile. Some of y'all didn't know I knew grammar. I'm from Tennessee. I know a little bit of what that was, okay? Some of y'all got some points on there, okay? We see this. He's given a comparison because he's trying to let them understand something. It's kind of like a parable. He's trying to get them to understand how Satan works. He says he works as what? A ruthless animal with a ferocious appetite. He ain't talking about the cowardly lion on the Wizard of Oz. That's not Satan. He's saying he is a roaring lion. And by the way, I studied this a little bit. Researchers say, you know when a lion roars the loudest? When he's the most hungry. When he's the most hungry, that's when he roars the loudest. You feel like Satan and sin and things in your life are roaring louder now than any other time? Because he's hungry. He wants you. He'll never get your soul, thank God, as a believer, but he'll take anything in the idea to get you from pleasing God. He got Adam and Eve. And if he's strong enough to get Adam and Eve, he's strong enough to get me to fall. He's strong enough to get two people that actually walk with God in the cool of the day every single day of their life and have a conversation with them like me and you are having. He's strong enough to beat little old me. By myself. Thank God I'm not by myself. But it says he's ruthless. And he's seeking. It goes on to say here, you see his desire, see his character, see his comparison, see Satan's desire. It says, seeking whom he may devour. Can I tell you something? Satan just don't want to slap you upside the head. He doesn't just want to slow you down. He doesn't want to just discourage you. He doesn't want you just to miss church. Can I tell you today? Satan wants to destroy you. And you say, Phil, that is not God love." loved Joel Osteen preaching. You don't need that. You can dislike me for that if you want. But there is a thing called sin. There is a thing called the devil. And let me tell you, he would love to destroy your life. He would love to destroy this church. He loves to destroy your family. He loves to destroy your responsibility, your testimony on your job. And he is seeking, that means actively pursuing. If you're a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church here, can I tell you something? Satan is actively seeking a way to destroy what we got going on right here. And can I tell you, he ain't gonna beat down the door like a lion. He's probably gonna let it implode from the inside. That's how it normally happens. Normally ain't an outsider coming in. It's someone on the inside that becomes careless in the way that they live their life. You say, Brother Phil, he doesn't want me to miss church. He doesn't want me to be discouraged. He doesn't want me to do all these different things. All that other stuff is just a pathway to your destruction. Just a pathway. So we see we have a determined foe, and we'll go on here. I appreciate your patience. But another reason we need to be serious, and we're kind of talking about it in verse 3, but in verse number uh, eight there but we need to be serious number four because we're in a spiritual fight we're in a spiritual fight look in verse number nine it talks about satan right and he says whom resists steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world can i tell you something you need to be serious in your life as a christian whether you are five or whether you are 95 because as long as you are a believer you are in a spiritual battle and what peter's telling them to do here is this he's saying you need to resist him he says you need to fight. If you're a young person here, by the way, I, I know a lot of you that are younger, you get tired of hearing about that millennial stuff, right? You get tired of hearing about that? I'm just about two years too old to be a millennial. I wish I was. Yeah, I'm not exactly young enough to be there. But can I tell you something you can do younger generation? Fight for your generation. Fight for your generation whether the world acknowledges it or not, whether Christians acknowledge it or not, say, I'm going to be a light in the darkness of my generation, and I don't care what people may call me or accuse me of, but you know what they're not going to be to accuse me of? Of not being serious about my Christianity. By the way, young people do that. Us older people will follow. You say, wait, wait, no, 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 that's supposed to go the other way, right? It's supposed to be older people lead, and the younger ones follow. That's how it's supposed to be, but most revivals that happen all across this great country started with young people getting right with God. Being the right example. And those older people finally caught on. But hey, fight for your generation. Moms and dads, fight for your kids. Fight for them. Don't fight with your kids. Fight for your kids. And there's a difference. Say, Brother Phil, I fight with my kids every day. Stop fighting. Realize this. Every aggravation I have with my family and every aggravation they have with me, <laughs> quit fighting the wrong person. Know your enemy. Your enemy is not your kid, not obeying. Your your problem is your child has an enemy that wants to win their heart. Because if he wins their heart, he'll win their actions. We're trying to win our kids' actions whenever God's saying, if you win their heart, I'll take care of the actions. We're fighting the wrong thing. And we're pushing our kids by the thousands away from church as soon as they get old enough to graduate high school. What's going to keep your kids staying in church when they graduate high school? What's going to keep them? Well, they knew how to sit. They knew how to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Well, they knew how to be respectful. Okay, did they know how to be godly? Did they know how to be good or did they know how to be godly? It says train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, she not depart from it. Training up doesn't mean just uh, doing what's right. having an etiquette. What's training them is this. I need to train my kids how to have a relationship with God when daddy ain't there. You need to be training your kids. And maybe if you have the opportunity, your grandkids, train them how to have their own relationship with God. By the way, talk is cheap. Actions are expensive and lasting. My kids will probably never exceed my Christianity. I hope they do. I hope my kids make my Christianity look tiny. You want your kids to have a better walk with God? Be a better walk with God. I know this ain't funny. I know this ain't the real fluffy feel that you normally get. But God has really been just been beating me upside the head and neck about this, that we ain't taking this thing serious. We ain't taking marriage serious. We ain't taking raising children serious. We ain't taking God serious. We ain't taking any of it serious. We take a lot of things serious. But we don't take the right things serious. By the way. No, I ain't going there. All right, we'll come back. All right. That's where you pray the Lord gives you the right words and you don't do your own. You see in the spiritual fight, you see resistance, persistent resistance. Look what it says in the verse. It says, whom resist steadfast. You know what that means? He ain't going to come one time and go away. Satan's gonna knock at your door. And then if he don't get through the door, he's gonna come try to come through the window. He's gonna try to come through the roof. He's gonna try to come through the garage. He's gonna be persistent. And you know what you gotta do? He says, resist steadfastly. That means be consistent. Can I tell you one of the biggest struggles in my life spiritually? As I'm not consistent. And Sundays I am consistent to the T, but man, Monday rolls around. Don't you just pray, Lord, can we go from Sunday to like Thursday? That would be great. I'm a lot more spiritual on Thursday than I am on Monday. That's why he says you've got to resist steadfastly. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Everybody in this room has what we call habitual sin. That means there's something in your life that constantly pulls at you to sin. Can I tell you, you whenever that temptation, whatever it is, the sin comes, and you get victory over it one time, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back. It's going to probably come back in a different envelope. It's going to come back in a different package. And you're going to have to resist it. Persistence there. Persistent resistance. But it also says here some allegiance. How can I resist him? Love these next three words. In the faith. In the faith. I don't have to do it on my own. I can resist him in the faith. I can claim, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not in thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. I don't have to defeat him on my own. I can claim, as it says in First John, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can claim, as it talks about Isaiah, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not go weary, they shall walk and not faint, because you know what, I don't have to go, on, go, at, go at Satan on my own. Well, I think I can take down Satan. Oh, really? Michael the archangel couldn't? Read the book of Revelation. Michael the archangel said he could not, could not resist Lucifer. And he finally said, the Lord rebuked thee. Even Michael the archangel says, I can't take him on my own. If Michael the archangel can't do it, can I tell you? I can't. But it's wonderful. I don't have to do it on my own. I can do it in the faith. By the way, whenever Satan in Matthew chapter number 4 tempted Jesus, I love how Jesus could have conquered Satan any way he wanted. He did it to be an example. Three times that we have recorded, I think he tempted him a lot more, but three times we have recorded Matthew 4, Satan tempted Jesus. And every time, what did Jesus say? As it is written. As it is written. As it is written. I can't say it if I don't know it. What did someone once say? I thought it was true as the Bible is meant to be bread for the soul or bread for the day, not cake for special occasions. A lot of us treat this for special occasion. He said, no, no, this is the good stuff. By the way, that's why in parting of feeding the flock, that I didn't tell you earlier, that's why I can't get a message in my mind and try to go find a verse to match my message. Can I tell you something? The verse is the message. The Bible is the message. But there's a comforting realization, it says, in the rest of the verse. In verse number 9, it says, Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, that are in the world. You know what it helps me realize? That's part of the reason we're here today. You know what I can realize? Yeah, I'm struggling. Yes, I have an enemy. Yes, I'm going to take this Christian life serious. And the reason we're gathering in this room today, you know why? Because there's other people in this room that are going through suffering. They're going through trials. They're going through things in their life. And it's a wonderful thing to realize this. There's other people still, oh, imperfect, trying to seek and please a perfect God and saying, you know, we all suffering. But thank God we can suffer together and we can keep going for- toward Christ reason we're here today is to remind ourselves that you're not alone. You ever felt alone in a room full of people? Can I tell you something today? You're here today, and you may be so discouraged. You may be here today, and you just feel so worthless. Can I tell you something? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not alone. He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And by the help and power of God, you're not just alone. you got friends. That's what we call it. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. You have a family that struggles and suffers just like you do. You don't have to be by yourself. I find it interesting. Whenever hard times come, where do people run away from? Church. I'm just making the plug, okay? So just enjoy it and I'll get off of it. Hard times come, we run away from this book. Hard times come, we quit reading our Bible. We quit praying. We run away from God. And the sufferings ought to draw us closer to Him and closer to each other. Then lastly, why should I be serious? Because we have a sovereign Father. We have a sovereign Father. Look in verse 10. All this suffering, all this enemy, look what he says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Can I tell you one of the ways to get victory over the devil? is just to praise the Lord. Well, Brother Phil, I don't think you understand. If I'm suffering, that means I got hardship in my life. You tell me to praise the Lord? Yeah, praise him anyway. Can I tell you something? If God never does another single thing in my life for me. He's done enough that I should praise him for the next million years. For nothing more than saving my soul, but it was awesome. He loves me enough not just to save me. He loves me enough to help me, sustain me, and carry me through this life. And some of you went through things I can't imagine. I hope I never have to go through, and I'm not belittling it. But I'm telling you this. Whatever you have gone through or what you are going through or whatever comes back up to hurt you and pull on you in your mind, can I tell you, as it says here, there's a God of all grace. All grace means the grace for that relationship issue. It says that's relation, not just relation, but there's all grace for your physical need, all grace for your financial need, all grace for your marriage, all grace in your job, all grace in the death of a loved one. It's all there. But you gotta praise Him. You gotta praise Him. You gotta praise Him in the storm because He's a sovereign Father. He said, "Who hath called us into His eternal..." Glory by Christ Jesus. And it does say in the middle of that verse, after that you suffered a while. Can I tell you, you are probably here and you're probably suffering. But can I tell you something? That your suffering is meant to do the very end of verse 10. It's to make you perfect. The word perfect there means complete. It means spiritually mature. It's there to establish you. That means for this, to help you to grow. It's there to strengthen you. And I think we got a good idea what that means. And then it's there to settle you. That means to make you constant, or you don't flinch. Let me ask you a question today. How serious are you about your Christianity? You say, Brother Phil, I was doing pretty good, I walked in here and listened to you today. I thought everything was sunshine and rainbows. I thought it was Black Friday shopping. We all enjoy all this. I come in here, and you gloom and doom. No, I'm not telling you this today to get you discouraged, but I am trying to tell you this today is this. The Christian life is more than about just meeting Sunday mornings at 11. And if you don't take it seriously out there, you have an enemy that says, I want to destroy you. But even though there's an enemy that wants to destroy you, there's a God. Thank the Lord for that. I love all the buts in the Bible. But God. But God. Can I tell you, but the God of all grace says, you know what I want to do? You don't have to be defeated and you don't have to be a victim. You have an enemy, but there's a God that has enough grace to last you now until the time you meet him in glory. Let's be serious about this thing we call Christianity. Let's stand together if you would. Father, thank you so much for the day and the time we could be together.